Yes, sir. Blackmail purposes <laughs> exclusively. Awesome. Cool. What? Here you go. You can see my claw. So, so check this out. I could. I don't need. I could just have like a something hanging on my door because you can't see my bed. But this is that arm you sent me. How many years ago? Nice. Still works. Awesome. And this is the mic you sent to. Awesome. Yes, sir. Wow, your studio looks nice. Dude, my studio is so fucking nice now. <laughs> I was going through shit and throwing it out. I got like three computers here. I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing with my setup because this one computer's old, but it still works. So I don't want to get rid of it. So I got I to gotta put some shelves in here to like maybe put books on the walls or... I can only build up, but it's like, you know, you get your shit in here, and then I'm just going through getting rid of a bunch of shit, so so I can have some spring cleaning. Oh, yeah, do you want me to not cuss? I don't give a shit. Okay, it doesn't go on Chris's uh, radio channel anymore, right? Nope. How was how it adjusting to that without Chris's uh, radio? What do you mean? I mean, like you were on uh, Live Free FM, and you had like you were on that that radio show for so many years. And now, then you stepped away from it. Was it like a it was a mutual thing? Like I think it's time for me to move on. Uh, mainly the reason why is because uh, well, there was two reasons. Number one, um, they went they were on Sirius, and they were on uh, like a bunch of different GCN networks. Yeah, and so having to go through and edit my guests every week and, and edit myself was just not fun. Yeah. And then, like, and then because of FCC, whatever. Um, the other reason was uh, the commercial breaks, having to stop, having to have my show yeah. on a strict at 27 minutes, we have to have a commercial break at 47 minutes. We have to have a commercial break, having to make my guests conform their conversation to those timelines was a pain in the butt. And I just was like, I don't want to deal with this shit no more, which I lost a lot of my listener base, but I don't really give a shit. Whatever. It's okay. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think me being on your show was like, it was cool. And, uh, I, I mean, that would, that meant a lot to me because I was a big fan of you. And then, uh, I was like, Oh my God, you want to be friends? Holy <laughs> cow. And then you sent me, um, you sent me this mic and stuff and I was supposed to keep it a secret, but it was years ago. So, I just think it's like, you know, that, that helped me out a lot, man. That that helped me want to legitimize my show. Because at the time, I was still on talk show. And then, um, and then that from there, we built uh, the original Sample Hour site, or you and uh, your team did. And then you're like, well, uh, we're kind of modeling podcast blast off of the stuff that you and I both wanted. So, you know, not to make you spend money again, but... It'd be way better if you came over. And then I was customers. I was customer number one. You were customer zero. It's kind of weird to think about, man. And that's been what? That was four years ago. Yeah, or three years ago. So, here we are today, man. So I was going to run with everything we've been talking about, Nathan, because I think uh, I think it's 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 cool to just have a casual conversation and not be super serious all the time. But well, I'm not even I'm not even recording yet. So hold it's on cool. It's cool. This is why this is going to go on the uh, the sample hour. It will be a little bit different than the Nathan Frazier show. You'll be yeah, hold on one second. Cool. Nathan's texting everyone. He's a big deal now. Nathan just used to be this uh, 
anarchist guy that used to go to courtrooms and challenge jurisdiction. And he decided he wanted to actually legitimize himself societally and become a <laughs> business owner. Because before, he just was getting harassed by police officers and uh, and everything else like that. That's funny how you went from being the guy known for courts to now a sales copy. Uh, it's because I'm, I'm a sellout. You're not a sellout. You just were like, well, I could charge people money for this, and then they don't pay attention to me anyways, and then they... They don't listen to me, and then they get the book thrown at them. And then even if they do listen at me, they get the book thrown at them sometimes. And it's like I guess like the the, the biggest thing I felt was because when we were when you were going when I was going down that rabbit hole and I was listening to a lot of the stuff you were saying, I was listening to your show and your interviews. It was like you know like this is all under the assumption that the government's going to follow their own rules. Or that, right. that the U.S., like, a judge is actually, there's, like, uh, this guy, I want to have him on, he's this lawyer, his name's John Heyer, and I met him in, like, the real estate scene. And, like, everybody has these strategies to get LLCs from different states because they're like, well, then they have to follow, you know, you, you get the LLC in the Nevada because of, of, which we were told. Tax reasons. Yeah, do you remember, we, we, uh, the big one we heard was uh, New Mexico because you could file anonymously and you could have... And John Heyer said, well, you still have to have a representative. So, in that state. In that state. So you're going to have to file another LLC. And then you're going to assume that that judge is going to follow its own state's laws, let alone the laws of the LLC where you filed. So it's just like, I feel like it's, there's so many gimmicks in marketing, man. There's so many gimmicks in um, sales. So did you hit record okay, yet? Shut up. All right. We're going to actually do the show now. Okay. Cool. <laughs> okay. Let me uh, let me start the recording on my end. Record on this computer. So I'll to, to plug my own show. I'll just say the pre six minutes of conversation around the sample hour. Are you gonna? Okay. Cool. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Nathan Fraser show starting at three, two, one. All right, Free Market Squad, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nathan Fraser Show. And today it is, this is kind of like a reunion episode. We've got Drew Sample, who used to be my co-host way back in the day when I did Live Free FM. Drew Sample is the owner of Capital City Greens. We're going to be talking about business. We're going to be talking about podcasting. We're probably going to be talking about politics a little bit. And we'll see what else we go into. Drew, how you doing today, man? Good, buddy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I get to talk to you, which I always call you randomly when I'm driving and say, hey, man, I just want to talk to you. We don't talk enough anymore. And <laughs> uh, so it always turns into a thing. Not only that, we've traveled the country together. Don't forget that. We roomed together in Los Angeles. You've come out and hung out with me. Then I met up with you at, uh, man, I was so gone of lack of sleep and just drinking a lot when I got to Fort Collins and got into Denver last year, but we met at a brewery in Fort Collins too. So we've, uh, you know, we've, we've been in multiple States together. We've had multiple conversations. We both started our entrepreneurial paths legitimately at the same time too. So I think, you know, it's, it's cool. It is a reunion. And, um, and yeah, I know you, you talk a lot about marketing and online marketing. And I was like, Hey, Nathan, 
Remember how you told me I don't need a website and any of that stuff because I don't use it? Well, let's talk about that because I don't use business cards. I don't have a website. Uh, I barely even have a work email. I let the one lapse just because I wasn't really using it. And I was just like, man, I just, I, I, I do most of my business via text messaging. So, and, and, I, and you, we both agreed it'd be a good idea for my podcast and your podcast to talk about how I've grown my business and, and just when, when, to, when you need to do stuff that you do with sales copy and when maybe there's some, some legwork and some uh, belly-to-belly type of work you should do beforehand. Okay, so I'm going to start off, first of all, before we jump into that, I'm going to ask you, for my listeners, what is it that you do? What is your business based around? So my main source of income is my my is Capital City Greens or Capital City Gardens LLC. Um, I have two different names at this point because of a nursing home, and uh, which we can talk about later. But I am a small scale farmer, so I originally so kind of bought into a spin farming system from Curtis Stone, and then uh, went out and did a bunch of research, networked a bunch with the the people that on the internet were to be the best. And then um, I was laid off, and then what I I shifted my whole business plan to really just focus on microgreens. And now we're you know I'm in Columbus, Ohio, so and I have about 23 restaurants that I sell to regularly, and my business has continued to grow since uh, I started. I've had some dips of going down just based on farmers market season going out, but now this this season um, it's it's actually just. The restaurant, my restaurant business, part of my business is, is paying most of my bills. So this was something, when I flew out there to meet you, this was something that was really In kind of like a culture shock to me. Yeah. Which was that your guys' restaurant kind of culture is very dependent on locally sourced food. Whereas here in Colorado... A lot of our restaurants, actually the majority of our restaurants, get all of their food from like big box companies. They get it from Yancey's or they get it from uh, these these companies that pretty much just deliver the same food to all these different restaurants. Um, what What is that like? For people that are listening, people are like, what, you sell directly to the restaurant? You don't have like I a do. middleman like Yancey's in between? No. No, yeah. So, so restaurants still they. So the the nice thing with Columbus is we really do embrace like a local economy, and I think that's why Columbus is the number one test market. Now, most restaurants still do get most of their produce from like Gordon's or Cisco, or um, I don't want to give too many native ads, but larger, larger, uh, larger companies. Those are my biggest competition. So it. But they, they, the chefs want to support local farmers. I mean, thankfully, with Netflix and good documentaries that get out there about you know supporting your local farmer and kind of cultivating that relationship with your food, Columbus is a very it, it really likes supports a localized economy. And I think you know being in the Midwest, the number one form of entertainment here is going out for for food or drinks. So with that, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's a good market for what I'm doing. Like, I, I, I wouldn't do this if I was, I don't think I could do this if I was in Toledo, Ohio or Cleveland, Ohio. Um, there's certain cities in the Midwest where I think this works, um, but I, I wouldn't say anybody could go out and do it. Now, if you really hustle, you could make some money and I think you could, you could have a good side business and I could be wrong, but 
we have a bunch of restaurants here that are that are smaller owned. It is harder to get into like bigger chains, um, even if they're like a local chain. If they're based out of a different uh, city, it's even harder to do. Not as, but there's a lot of restaurants here in Columbus that are kind of chef driven, so the chefs get to choose where their ingredients come from. So it's it's pretty nice. I think we have a good food scene here. I mean, I, t- I took you out to a lot of places to eat, and I don't think you were disappointed at all. Even the food trucks we went to where you were obsessed with the thing at uh, Potato Head's food truck. They'll just <laughs> shout them out. But we, you know, it, it was very different. Our food truck scene is, is pretty big. Um, you know, the local farming, I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of local farmers that really are killing it. I mean, there's a few of us and i think you know the urban farming model it's a, it's a lot easier to cash flow i mean there's a few farmers that i work with well one farmer that i work with from out of town i'd like to work with more um and i think a lot of expressed interest with working with me but i think it's you know it's it's uh it's a tough business and it's it's a labor of love and i think for me it's a little bit different like my you know, we being in the mastermind together, we, you know, uh, we talked a lot about how I had the opposite issue of the e-myth and it wasn't like I, I was a good farmer and I just didn't know how to sell. I was good at sales and marketing. I just didn't really want to put in the work to farm. And I think so that, so I like my having 10 years of sales experience and, and selling pretty much outside sales, inside sales, um, I sold at a kiosk for years. I did a bunch of network marketing and, and failed miserably and alienated myself with all my friends and family. So like I have pretty thick skin and I and I and I understand a lot about sales and and just nuances of that and sequence of words. So I think it, you know, my background was 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 a lot different than a lot of people that I come across at farm. So it was easy for me to to kind of move up through the ranks quickly. And understand certain aspects of customer service that would put me ahead of all my competition. So, um, there's two different ways that I want to go with this, and I want to get your feedback on both. Cool. Uh, number one, the you mentioned you don't have a website, you don't do the business cards thing, you don't do the sales funnel thing, you don't do the opt in and all of that stuff. And I think that a lot of times. And these are, I guess, kind of two questions that are related. I think a lot of times people focus on the marketing because they don't want to do the selling. A lot of times people say, well, I want to have a website that does all my selling for me, or I want to have a sales funnel that does all my selling for me. They they spend all their time on advertising advertising and, and sending people to their website and, and traffic and webinars because they don't want to sell one-on-one. I think maybe they're afraid to. Um, and also kind of a a side note to that, you mentioned you came into this already having a healthy background in sales. I kind of believe that it doesn't matter what you're selling. If you don't know how to sell it, you're not going to sell very much of it. Um, When it came to urban farming, I see a lot of people promising, oh, with this much land, you can make this much money. And they teach you how to, they teach you how to grow. And I see this with all kinds of business opportunities. Oh, all you have to do is start up a Shopify store and you can make this kind of money. Or all you have to do is uh, learn this particular skill. It's in demand and you'll be able to make uh, all kinds of money. They teach you the skill. They teach you how to farm, but they don't teach you how to sell. How much of an impact is the fact that you came from a selling background had on your success as a farmer and um, going back to the fact that you're not 
You're not letting your website do your selling for you. You're not letting a sales funnel do your selling for you. How much of an impact has that had on your success? I think it's had a big impact. I know there's a lot of times where I was trying to pick your brain to, to build something because just, you know, business takes time. And I think, you know, when, when you, when I first went at this full time and I didn't have the parachute of my job, um, it was, it was, it was pretty scary, man. And I, and so I, we had these ideas and I hashed out ideas with Kevin, our, our good mutual friend, Kevin Geary, about trying to do like a door to door sales thing or this route to, to try to do like an aggregator type business selling direct to consumers. Um, and, you know, ultimately, I had all these ideas of, of how I wanted to sell things and in what ways I wanted to sell based on what what other farmers were doing and just thinking, well, I could do it better. But, you know, when it came down to it, it just was going to take time. And I think for, for me, having that sales background and understanding, you know, the power of word of mouth advertising and just really sticking to your word. I mean, I... I literally had one business that I started working with. And it was because I was at a bar. Like I went to a bar and this guy was dressed as uh, he was wearing his, his, his outfit that you wear when you work in a kitchen. And so I just started talking to him and buying him drinks about and we just were talking about food. And I knew there was a nice restaurant down, you know, just in the same complex and, you know, in the same little strip mall. And um, I pretty much just wanted to get in front of the people. And I knew if I could get in front of them, um, I could I would be fine just based on my sales sales experience. And I think like a lot of farmers, they or just just people that go into business in general, they have this they have this notion in their head that, well, if I have this great product, it's going to sell itself. And I think to a certain extent, that's true. Like I I don't I have an exceptional my microgreens are exceptional. Um it's true and true, and I think it's because of you know contracting out somebody that was really a lot better at growing than me to 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 do that for me and like and and really kind of be creative with how I did that. But at the same time, man, people are people are buying me, and I understood that going into it. Like people don't buy. It doesn't matter how fucking nice or nice your website is if you're a douche and you you know what i mean if you don't know how to talk to people and you don't know how to communicate with people if you're rude to people on the phone or you're more standoffish you're not going to be successful in business like you have to kind of humble yourself down see people where they're at and and really try to 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 come you know how can you help that person how can you what kind of service are you trying to provide to those people what kind of value does your business bring to your customers lives and so I think that that's a big focus for um, for me. I think you know when you talk about people saying you can make this much money per square footage in farming, it is true you can. But you know there's a lot of uh, there's a, there's a lot of um, I mean it it all depends. I mean there's a lot of people with no sales experience that do well just because they 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 just knew they didn't have any other options. But you know the farmer who there's one I, I work with two other farmers and one's been at it for 10 years and he had no business experience, no college degree. He literally just knew uh, his ex hippie girlfriend started a business and thought, well, she could do it. I could do it. So that was him. <laughs> and he had like 10 years and he's been hustling and he's done a lot of things wrong. And he's been open with me and like I'm just a fruit of knowledge for me to to tell me what not to do, what to be weary of what to do with scale because he has he does microgreens as well 
And then there's another farmer who grows totally different stuff, and he's on five acres, but he left Wall Street, was a worked on Wall Street in New York for years, him and his partner, and then they just decided, we don't like who we are out here. We're not particularly happy with our lives. And he, so it, for him, it's, it's second nature. Like I, I know that he can go in there when I introduce them to other restaurants and we can kind of trade and work together and make money not to kind of get off of what you asked me, but I think, you know, knowing how to present yourself in front of customers is a very big thing that you learn for a long time from doing it wrong. I mean, like I, I, there were so many years for me when I was in sales that I was, I wasn't doing things necessarily correctly and i'd be reading books and i'd always think like well what went wrong there what could i have done differently even like um i blew a lot of sales back in the day because i mean it's it's easier too to blow sales when it's when you're not working for you but you know even even like i have a very high close rate if i know if i can get in front of somebody but even like now like you know not everybody goes with me even though like every reason i think they should like i'm a local guy and everything else the people are just kind of weird and you have to be okay with people telling you no. You just have to be more okay with getting in front of more people. And I think, you know, the idea with a sales funnel and a website to do sales for you, I think works. I think, you know, there's um there's people that I know are small business owners here that they sell most of their stuff online and they just and it's and they basically have create their own order taking online and through emails and everything, and it works for them. I, I think for me though. And who you know, working with chefs, they're they're kind of a counterculture personality type, much like myself. So it's a lot easier for me to get along with them. And I'm like, you know, I don't check my email that often anymore. Like I used to check it all the time because I had, was forced to sit at a desk. But you know, a text message works a lot better. So and it was just easier because most chefs would say, just text me. I don't like email. So I just went with what most chefs said, and certain chefs don't even have a text message. So uh, I just go in there and I'd say, "Hey, I have this. Are you interested?" And and it's it's basically like my my business is completely built on relationships. Um, I if I've I've gotten a few just from having a Google page, I've gotten some people that call me and ask me about my greens. They have no idea that I'm just some small farm. And, uh, but nobody's bought from that. And I don't really market that. I have Facebook. I mean, I have a presence on Instagram, Facebook and all that stuff, but it's, you know, I don't really want to spend time on there. I'd rather spend time, you know, doing what I like and, you know, which is interacting with people, getting in front of people, having conversations with them. And if I have so many friends that have just referred me and said, Hey, I'm at this restaurant. They sell microgreens. Uh, I'm going to talk to the chef for you because people want to help me. And I think it's 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 kind of that idea that I, I think, you know, it, depending on your business, I mean, my goal was to have a local business. Like I, I wouldn't want to ship my stuff to another part of the state. Um, there's not a huge need to like I, that's not the kind of business I want. And it kind of reminds me you and I did this radio show a long time ago about local versus global. And I think at the end of it, we said they're both important and, and there's both ways to make money in both and both can benefit you. I mean, I wish I could get everything locally. I try to get as much stuff locally as I can, but I get a lot of my seeds from Oakland, California. And then the other seeds I get from Salt Lake City, Utah. So I can't really get my seeds locally, but they give me the best price and allows me to have a certain price point so I can share my microgreens locally within the city. 
Um, but all my soil comes from Ohio, so that feels pretty good. My the shelving, the the uh, trays I use come from Indiana, so or I actually Pennsylvania, one one of the bordering states. So I mean, it's 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 all from the United States, though. But it's 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 also you know what I think you know you have to figure out what you you know where do you draw your line in the sand when it comes to business, and then at the same time, like you start a business for a lifestyle. I, I think. You know, if, if you just want to collect a paycheck or if you just want to make money where it doesn't take a lot of effort, then go get a job. Um, I think it, the the pipe dream of I can there's a lot of romanticism being sold on the Internet right now with any business, real estate, what you do in sales copy, um, a lot of stuff, being a mentor, being a life coach, being this, being that. And it's sold based on like money and ideas of of lifestyle but they don't really t- like everything you do is going to take work everything you do is going to take this is you know you have to work on yourself you have to understand how to communicate with people you have to understand you know so i i think you know i have a healthy skepticism to a lot of courses and everything else like that but you know i think i spent a thousand bucks on a course and I, you know, I don't use a lot from it, but man, it, it really was a, like a, it, it was what I needed skin in the game wise to get started. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the thing. I, I think, you know, sure you could find as much information out there for free, but there are certain experts that do sell stuff to you and you can do that. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an old school guy. I think, you know, I, I want to make, I don't have, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing out on YouTube money right now. If Rich and I recorded everything we were doing in my business and I was doing videos about how to sell, everything else like that, because there's guys out there in small scale farming that want to tell you how to sell, but they're not farming. And they're not, and if they were that good at farming, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing now. And I think, and that's kind of it. If they were that good at sales, they would have figured out a way to work with other farmers and really make an impact. But I think there's like, um, I kind of feel like internet marketing is is getting uh there's there's a lot of there's a lot of noise to to actual gem race there's a lot more noise than there is actual quality i think that you know and i think it's it's something that i think people need to be aware of like there's no magic to being successful in business like i mean like i man i took a huge pay cut doing this but it doesn't matter because i did this for lifestyle i did this i didn't do this for money Sure, there's going to be money that's there, and I'm pretty proud of what, where I've gone in the last two and a half or one and a half years of doing this full time. But I think that, you know, I, I, I think people need to, to kind of something we talked about before with mail and mail, why, why a lot of traditional mail marketing is still successful because there's less traffic. There's a lot less traffic if you, if you build a local network, if you build relationships with people or even distance i mean you can do a lot of stuff over the phone but i think you know being afraid to talk to people get on the phone and talk to someone it's going to hold you back if you can get on the phone like you can build initial rapport with an email and if you can get on the phone and you can talk to people i mean you're you're going to be in good shape and then if you can show up in person and know how to present yourself you're going to be in even better shape and there's a lot of business that's going to come your way just as a result of it because People take pleasure in doing business with you, and they naturally going to want to share the experience of you with other people. So I, sorry. So that's hopefully okay. that made uh, sense, Nathan. You know. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of touch on some of the things that you said there. Um, number one, networking. I, I don't. I, 
in network marketing gets such a bad rap yeah. and uh, I totally understand. But networking is just vastly important. I know that some of the things that I've experienced um, working with David Garfinkel on his podcast, I've gotten a lot of people that have come to me and said, I only hired you because you do the podcast with David. I have other customers or clients that come to me and say, I only hired you because you wrote this sales page for this person and they were so pleased with it. And when they, when I asked them who to go to, they told me to go to you. Um, I get some of like, I, I sell a lot of subscriptions to uh, the free market squad membership through Facebook marketing and through email. But most of my client based stuff comes through either my network or through uh, actually getting on the phone with people and talking to people I don't think I've ever sold a, I don't think I've ever landed a copywriting gig just based off of emails, just based off of Facebook. I think it's always, actually I'm positive. It's always either come from a network or it's come from people saying, Hey, I'm kind of interested, but I want to actually talk to you. And so no amount of great sales copy, no amount of awesome sales funnels would have ever been able to land me some of the clients I've been able to land. Um, I want to ask you about what your process is when you're for people that are like, well, it sounds great. I'd love to be able to actually talk to more people, but I'm terrified of rejection. I'm terrified of taking that first step. What does your process look like when you, when you say, okay, I want to get my microgreens into this restaurant. Um, what does that look like for you? What do you do to, to try and make that happen? Well, there's a couple things. So I, 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 I recently had a lot of success by, I mean, I try to get warm referrals. So that's the first thing I do is um, I, I like to get warm leads because it, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of competition out there for microgreens, for local stuff. And it's, uh, you know, I think they they do their best. People do their best to try to, they just drop off. Uh, samples and give them a price sheet and but there's you know there there needs to be a name at the face i think you know one thing that uh that i notice is you know when i actually talk to people that i've meet for the first time first i i try to get a warm referral so and what i how i get warm referrals is i i have a freezer filled with pork um that i've supported from supporting local hem- homesteaders and farmers Maybe this is legal. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But I have a nice referral reward system that I've developed by saying, and it's and it's also like you know I'm I'm touching on something that's very old school, and I forget where I read it. But if you give somebody meat, like if you give somebody especially good quality meat, not some crap you get from the grocery store, but like if I can say, listen, this is forest raised craft pork. I mean, it's pretty much just foraged. It's ate a little bit of GMO free food feed. But it was free choice, meaning that the 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 pigs are just eating a little bit of feed each day to supplement their food, but they're mainly foraging in the forest because pigs live in the forest. And um, I became like really obsessed with getting really good pork because I learned the actual health benefits of lard if it's not like a factory farmed pork. So it, there's a lot. There's enough people that are in my circle that are very hip, especially the chefs I work with. They're very hip to what good pork is, and they wish they could get good quality meat, but it's really hard. I mean, like, you know, they, they, they watch food documentaries, too. I think, you know, they all have Netflix subscriptions, and there's enough chefs that, that have been, there's, 
There's a lot of good documentaries out there that are romanticizing the idea of a good relationship between a farmer and a chef. Food Network's a great show. Like that has great content. I mean, I, that's what got me watching the show. Chopped got me to actually start cooking in the kitchen because I was watching it with my friend and his mom, and I was like, "Oh man, older people love this show." So I started watching it with my parents, and it's like just some little crap. So thank you, reality TV. But you know. Because they're educated in that, if I say, listen, I'm going to give you pork chops, or I give pork, it's a referrals program. So not only do people naturally want to help me, but then when I give them pork, then they're like, there's, there's, an, there's, there's something that goes off in their head when it comes to reciprocity when they receive meat. And I don't know what it is, but I definitely take advantage of it. And I'm very upfront with it, too. I'm like, listen, I'm giving this to you because I like you, but also I know that there's something weird that goes on when I give you meat that you're going to want to help me even more. Like, I don't hide anything. Like, I, that's, I'm very full disclosure. I'm not trying to be sneaky or anything like that. And, and they think it's funny, and I think it's funny. So that's one thing I'll do is to get just free free stuff. And then another thing is what I used to do is just give people little samples. Um, but when I actually give people microgreen samples, I'm giving them a pound of everything, which is crazy. It's a lot especially if I charge 20 bucks a pound, I'm, I'm typically giving them about $120 of free product. Um, and when they get that, I'm like, you know, listen, I want to, I want you to see the shelf life. So how long that stuff lasts, I want you to see how nice it is. And I want to give you enough to be creative because I want you to buy stuff. And then also I want you to feel obligated to buy from me because I gave you so much stuff for free. And I say that to people too. And I'm, but I have a good conversation with them and then I immediately get their phone number so I can text them. Like one thing is I don't leave it up to them to contact me because the chances are, even if they like me, it might take them a few weeks versus I can text them next week. Hey, I'm harvesting. Just want to see how those samples are. If there's anything else you wanted to order. And usually I know that they're going to say, no, I'm still going through everything you gave me. The shelf life is great because that's what everyone tells me because it is. But I ask them anyways, because I want to get contact or when I'm done with, when I'm done meeting them, I'll text them and say, Hey, it was great meeting with you. I'm going to text you again next week when I'm harvesting and see see what you think and see what you, if you need anything. And then I just continuously text them. And I, and I tell them, look, I'm going to text you until you tell me to stop. So every week I'm going to text you. And if you tell me to stop, that's fine. I'll stop. But usually they're busy. Chefs are busy people. They don't have time to really, with their placing orders, I try to take, I try to remove um, excuses. That's like always been my sales approach in, in, in anything, which always made me good is you, you're basically trying to remove as many excuses as possible. And I do that with, with good customer service. I mean, I, I was told by the district chef at like one of the, like a major restaurant that I'm more reliable than any big box company when it comes to microgreens, because I can get it to them immediately. Like there's a lot of things that I noticed, like when, um, I was listening to podcasts with other other farmers that are kind of seasoned maybe they're bigger than me and their their whole thing is you know i you know i i deliver once a week you got to set those parameters and it's like look maybe when you're an established farmer you can have these parameters and maybe eventually i'll do that too i mean i'm getting more to that point where i'm only delivering a couple days a week but i'm close like i'm in the middle of the city i'm a five minute drive maybe a 10 minute drive max from anywhere i sell to um It'd be silly for me if they really needed something to say no, um, because they appreciate you going out of your way to do that. And usually they'll, you know, they'll 
cook me food for free or they'll give me something. But maybe they appreciate that I care about our relationship. And that's what I make sure they know is, listen, this is a, this is a relationship based on business. Like I have a relationship with not only this restaurant, but you. Because chefs move around. If you get a job somewhere else, I want you to take me with you. That's an easy <laughs> way for me to get a new customer. And also, too, you're going to be more likely to, to share me. And, I, and I, I'm 100% full disclosure with everybody. I'm not trying to be sneaky. I mean, I, I want them to know this is, hey, look, you know, you, you like keeping the little guy in business. You feel good doing that. So I want to help them feel good. I mean, it's just like basic things that I do. And a lot of times people try to like, well, I don't, you know, I'm trying to sell them this way. So I'm going to say this. And it's like, why? Just be upfront with people and let them know, hey, I need this. Can you help me? Because people want to help you. And I think it's like if people play games and they try to do some con man type stuff, as Zig Ziglar would say. But I want to be a salesman. I, I never wanted to be a con man. Nice. I hope I okay, answered dude. your question there. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I think really the main takeaway that I'm getting from this is it's about establishing relationships, building relationships with people. Um, I do have to get out of here and oh, I want to thank you for coming on. Where can people go if they want to check out more of what you do, check out your podcast. And if they're in your local area, uh, check out some of your microgreens. So you can, if you want microgreens, um, email me. If you're in the area, it's just capital city gardens at gmail.com. Nathan had helped me set up an email for capital city greens. And then, um, I forget what happened. Oh, I, the website I was hosting on, we, we were hosting my website on a certain site and they tripled their price from before. So I was like, screw this. So I haven't found a new host yet. Um, but I, I didn't really need to. That was kind of what we talked about. Like, this is really worth the money. And then, um, so you can do that. Uh, go to samplehour.com and uh, you can, it's hosted by the wonderful podcast Blast Off. So if you actually want to create your own podcast, you can. There's an affiliate uh, link in there, and you can get a little discount by going and joining, or I think I get some money. I don't really care. Talk to Nathan about that. But yeah, so that's that's pretty much it, man. Drew, I appreciate you coming on, man, and uh, sharing your wisdom. And again, just the major takeaway from this is don't be afraid to sell. Don't be afraid to build relationships with people. Don't be afraid of the rejection that you're inevitably going to come across once in a while. And uh and that's what it's all about, man. Cool. Thanks, Nathan, for having me on. Let's do this again, man. Absolutely. All right. Drew Sample, samplehour.com and Capital City Greens. And we will catch you later, man. Thanks. Hey, I hope that was good. That was fantastic. Let me... uh